college degree has caused a lot of that because usually what we do, we post all the best stuff on social media, right? And, and so we look at everybody else's best stuff and then we begin to compare that with our worst stuff. We look at everything that everybody's topping in in there and seeing what they're enjoying. And again, we look at ourselves and say, man, I'm just trying to make it. It don't seem fair that I'm going through what I'm going through and everybody else, man, it's hunky-dory and hallelujah and they just uh, live in life and, and uh, live in high, wide, and handsome. I mean, that's, that's the way it looks from time to time. Well, folks, uh, if that's you, if you've ever felt that way, if you've, if you've ever came to the place where it seems as though life has been unfair to you. If you've ever felt that way, if you're feeling that way right now, then this message is for you this morning. Let me tell you what I'm so very thankful for, what I, blesses my heart, what calms my soul, what gives me hope for tomorrow is the precious, powerful truth of the Word of God. And right here in Psalm 73, this brother is going through those times in his life when, it's, when life seems really unfair. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He's down in the mouth. He's seeing everything he's having to deal with, looking out at everybody else and saying, Lord, it just don't seem fair to me. Why am I going through what I'm going through and everybody else don't seem to be going through the same things that I am? It seems to be great for them and, and bad for me. And so what he does is give us a, a, a message here that, that, listen, hits us right where we live. He, one thing I love about the Word of God is it, it gives you truth from every angle. It hides nothing about life itself. It tells you you're going to go through tough times. It tells you that you're going to experience times in your life when it seems unfair to you. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 16, one of my favorite verses, he said, in this world you shall have tribulation. Now notice how he puts that. You shall have tribulation. It's not a might, it's not a maybe, it's not, it could happen. He's saying it's going to happen and it's going to happen for me, it's going to happen for you, whether you're in the pew or you're in the pulpit, from the, from the altar to the door, from the ceiling to the floor, all of of us, every one of us, folks, is going to go through hard times. And the Bible says that plainly. But then at the end of John 16, 33, Jesus said, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I've told you before, folks, and I'm going to keep telling you, for the child of God, listen, Christianity is not about the absence of problems, because even though you're a child of God, you're still going to face stuff in your life. You're still going to Face those times when life seems unfair. So it's not about the absence of problems. However, it is about the addition of God's power through the person of the Holy Spirit to help you through whatever problem you might face. And this brother in Psalm 73 sees that plainly. He writes for us in this psalm a great message. I've heard it said that if you want to preach a great message, you have a good introduction, you have a good conclusion, and then you get from the introduction to the conclusion as fast as possible. And I, I think there's probably a lot of truth in that, but this brother does it a little bit different. He, he, he does it in reverse. First, he gives us the conclusion uh, before he gives really the introduction. And he comes to the conclusion in verse number one. Let's read it together. He says, truly, God is... Good. Now, if you believe that this morning, say amen. 
Now, he gives us this conclusion first, I believe, because he wants us to understand he's not a backslider. He wants us to understand he's not an apostate. He wants us to understand that he hadn't lost his faith because he's been wrestling with a lot of hard questions. He's been wrestling with some things that we all wrestle with. Here's a man who's serving God. Here's a man who's repented and is following the Lord. Here's a man who's doing everything he can to please God throughout his life. But he sees the trouble he faces. Then he looks around him and everybody else, and they don't seem to be facing the same troubles. Even the wicked seems to be living a better life than he's living. And so he begins to wrestle with some of these questions. Matter of fact, he says in verse number two, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. Now, how many of you know there's a lot of difference in almost gone and altogether gone? And I'm so very thankful for that. This brother said, I'd come to the place where I almost lost my faith. I'd come to the place where my feet had almost slipped. Now, let me tell you what I love about the God we serve. The God in whom we've placed our trust, if you're a believer this morning. How many of you know, He is the God on the mountain, can you say amen? Sure, we all know that. When things are hunky-dory and hallelujah, and man, we, we, we find those times in our life when we can't help but praise Him for the good things that He's done for us, He's God on the mountain. But praise God, you need to understand as well, He's God in the valley. He's God in those times when life seems unfair. And the same God who promises to not leave you on the mountain promises to not leave you in the valley. Hebrews 13.5 says that um, the, 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 the scripture tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. I'm telling you folks, I have come to the same conclusion in my life. In good times or in bad times when life seems great and life seems unfair, God is always good. He truly is. Now, let me, let me say something to you. This brother didn't jump to this conclusion. He didn't come to this conclusion lightly. We're going to see that as we go through Psalm 73. I mean, he's really wrestling with some stuff, and I'm glad he does because it clears a lot up for me. And I hope this morning that it clears a lot up for you. It's very important that when we're going through those times when life seems unfair to us, those depressing times, those discouraging times, those times when we're down in the mouth ourselves, it's important that we don't jump to conclusions about who God is. Because usually what happens when we jump to conclusions in those times, those conclusions are not based upon fact but on feeling. Those conclusions are not based upon what we know to be truth according to the Word of God, but they're based upon our emotions. And the truth is, folks, our emotions, our feelings change like the wind. So you can't jump to conclusions. That's a very dangerous thing. This brother reasonably, prayerfully wrestles through these questions and comes to the place where he realizes God's still good. Now, we do something from time to time around here that I want to do this morning. What I'm going to do, if you believe God is good, I'm just going to say God is good, and then in unity, you're going to say all the time. And then I'm going to say all the time, and you're in unity, you're going to say God is good. So if you've come to the same conclusion in your life that God is truly good, follow me in this. God is good. And all the time. Now, this time I want you to say it with passion. This time I want you to say it like you really believe it. This time I want you to say it so that, uh, listen to me now, we all understand what you're saying. God is good. And all the time. 
This is the conclusion that this brother has came to here. But again, he doesn't come to it. There's four things that I want you to see in Psalm 73 that I hope and pray will be as much of a blessing to you as it has been for me. Verse 3 says, For I was grievous, or envious, excuse me, at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The first thing he saw was how the wicked was prospering. He saw that the wicked had plenty. Amen. He saw that they lacked for nothing. He saw not only they had plenty, but he saw their possessions. I mean, they had everything they could ever want. They, 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 they had no need of anything. And really what I think this brother's dealing with, he said, here I am serving God. Here I am following the Lord. Here I am doing what God has called me to do, what I know God wants me to do. And then I look at the wicked, and they've got a whole lot more stuff than I've got. Lord, Lord, I'm over here driving a Pinto and they're driving a Cadillac. Lord, I'm over here struggling to make ends meet. You ever been there in your life? I hope and pray that you hadn't, but but, uh, if you have, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about at the end of the month where where the ends don't meet, they just kind of wave at each other as they pass. I think that's probably happened to all of us to some degree, and I think that might have been where this brother was. Here I am serving the Lord, and Lord, it just don't seem fair that the wicked, they're prospering. They've got plenty. They've got all these possessions, and I'm just trying to make it. That's where he's at. He saw the prosperity of the wicked. He saw their plenty. He saw their possessions. But now look down at verse number four. He also saw their peace, for there are no bangs or bands in their death, but their strength is firm. He said they don't die a bad death. They seem to die an easy death. They seem to have all the strength that they need throughout their life. See, what this man is doing is what we sometimes do. When life seems unfair, when we go through uh, t- tough times, terrible times in our life, times of tribulation, those, those times of trials, when, when that happens for us as believers, we tend to look out at everybody else, don't we? And we begin to compare what we're going through and what they're going through. And that's a very dangerous thing to do, and that's what this man is doing. He's wrestling through these tough questions. And so he says uh, they, they seem to be at peace even though they're living wickedly. Then he says in verse number five, not only uh, does he see their peace, but then, folks, we see that, that he tells us about their, uh, their uh, possessions, or excuse me, their pride. Look at verse number five. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Verse six says, therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. He said, they're so prideful. They're so arrogant. They wear their pride like a gold chain around their neck so everybody can see it. These are the people that strut sitting down. They have no humility whatsoever. And he says, Lord, it seems as though these prideful people, they're, they're doing better than, than I'm doing. Life seems easier for them than it does for me. Have you ever been there? If we're not careful, in times when life seems unfair, we look out. This brother sees their possessions, their plenty, their prosperity. He sees their peace. He sees their pride. Verse number 7, look what the Bible tells us there. He sees their... their uh, um, Pleasures that they enjoy. Their eyes stand out with fatness. Anything they see they want, they, they can get. Nothing is withheld from them, from them. They have more than their heart could wish. He sees their perversity. Verse number 8, watch what the scripture tells us. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. 
He said, Lord, here I am trying to live right, and these people are living in perversity. These people are then living in profanity. Look at verse number 9. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue walketh about the streets. They're perverse, profane people, yet they have everything they could ever want. Are you seeing where he's coming from? It's easy for us to look at the Hollywood icons and see how wickedly they're living and think, why are they blessed like they're blessed? Why do they have what they have? Why, why do they get by like they get by? And it seems that we continue to struggle. It's easy to look at uh, people around you day by day who you know have no um, heart for the Lord, who you know are not serving the Lord in any way or want anything to do with the things of God. And it seems as though they're getting by sometimes better than the righteous are, better than the believers are. That's where he's at, and I feel like sometimes that's where we find ourselves. First of all, because he looks out, he sees the prosperity of the wicked. Number two, he also sees the problems of the saint. And that's where I think it really hits home with each and every one of us. Let's go down just a minute to uh, verse number 10. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. He says, man, they taste every drop of life, is really what he's saying in verse 10. And they say, how doth God not know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, there are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. But look at verse 13. Very Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. He said, so what he's really saying is, Lord, I'm doing all this for nothing. I've repented and turned to you and it's not really making a difference. That is his mindset because he sees the problems that he's facing. The problems that every saint faces from time to time. First he looks out. Then he looks in. He looks at himself. This man, the Bible tells us, is a man who's been cleansed. He said, I've cleansed my heart. How many of you know to cleanse your heart means that you repent of your sin? You trust in God for the forgiveness of your sin. We know as believers to trust in Jesus as Savior is to trust in Him so that our sins might be forgiven. So this psalm is for the believer that has trusted in Christ who has repented. Now they have a cleansed heart. Now they're justified before God. We stand before God not in our righteousness, not in our goodness, but in the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, that's the only goodness that really matters. Not my self-righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that is imputed unto me because of faith in Him. The word impute means to be counted to your credit. It's an accounting term. And that's exactly what happens when you place your faith in Jesus. The Bible says He forgives you of your sin and puts His righteousness on your account. So that when God sees me, he no longer sees me separated from him in the sin that I've committed, in the sin that I was born in, but he sees me in the righteousness of his precious son. This man was a cleansed man. He had repented, but let me say something else. Not only was he a cleansed man, but he was a chastised man. Look down at verse number 14. He says, for all the day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. You ever feel that way? I mean, even when you're, you have repented, you have trusted in Jesus, you have been born again into the family of God, but it seems day by day you're still struggling. It seems day by day you're still being even chastened of the Lord. Now, before we go any further here, let me give you two things about chastening. 
that you need to understand concerning the children of God and how God deals with us. God chastens us, I believe, for two reasons. First of all, He chastens us to correct us from our wrong. You see, even though you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, we still live in this flesh. We still have a fleshly nature. And the Bible says it is the flesh, it is the world, the system in this world that is against God and against His truth, and it is the devil that still causes us problems each and every day as we're trying to live for the Lord. And as long as we're in this flesh, as long as we're in this world, and as long as there's a devil out there that comes against us, we are going to struggle in living and being what God wants us to live and to be. Amen? Each and every one of us. And so the truth is, from time to time, God as a loving Heavenly Father has to correct us from our own. Because we're all still a work in progress. You remember those songs we used to sing in Sunday school, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took Him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, but guess what? He's still working on me. One of my favorite verses in that song is, don't judge me yet. Don't look at me yet. There's still an unfinished part. God by His power, God by His presence, God through the person of the Holy Spirit is still working on me. And if you're a believer and you still got breath in your lungs, He's still working on you too. Now listen to me. The chasing of God is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it's a fantastic thing. It's an amazing thing. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When God corrects you, He's dealing with you as sons and daughters. Look with me in Hebrews chapter number 12, just a moment. Look what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's look down at verse number 5. The Bible says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Verse number 7, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? See, the, the blessing of chastening is this. God is dealing with you as a son or daughter. Why? Because he loves you. I'm going to tell you, my three greatest blessings call me daddy. I am jacked up about being a dad. I love being a dad. I love my kids. I'm so thankful for them. But let me tell you this. For me to really love them, sometimes I have to practice some tough love. If I really love them. See, it's, it's really good that, that, that when I'm able to encourage and and set them up in my lap and hug on them and love them and, and, and just be that loving father that I enjoy being, that I want to be. That, that's the easy stuff, though. The, 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 the tough stuff is when I've got to discipline them in times when they do wrong. But if I really love them, if I really love them, I must discipline them. I must. See, if they don't learn to respect their father, that they're not going to respect anyone. 
If they don't learn to respect me and their mama, they're not going to respect teachers at school. They're not going to respect um, coaches on the football field or baseball field or volleyball court or basketball court or whatever. They're not going to respect one day police officers. They're not going to respect um, the, 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 the authority in the world at all if they don't first of all learn to respect me and her. So even though it's tough and even though it breaks my heart as a father to punish my children, I must do it if I really love them. That's what the Bible is saying about our relationship between us and God. Because God loves you so much, he's not going to allow you to keep going and doing what would be um, wrong in his eyes and harmful for you. And so what he does is he corrects us. He chastens us. And I've seen that so many times in my life. Matter of fact, when things go sideways in my life, when it seems like the, well, uh, the uh, life sneaks up behind me and jerks the rug out from under my feet and I fall flat on my face and I'm wondering which end is up and what's happening, God, why is this happening? The first thing I pray is, God, have I missed you somewhere? Have I failed you somewhere? Have, am I not doing what I'm supposed to do as your child? Am I, in the, am I heading in the wrong direction? Because if I'm heading in the wrong direction, show me so I can turn around. That's why the, uh, David said, he, he, he put it like this, Search me and try me, O Lord. And if there be any wicked way within me, Lord, let me know because I want to get it right. Sometimes God chastens us and allows these unfair things to happen in our life because he's trying to correct us from going in a wrong direction, from doing wrong things. Chastening comes because of correction, but now listen, um, chastening also comes to the child of God because of discipleship. It really does. Uh, look at Psalm 119. And let's read verse number 71. Psalm 119, says, David himself saying this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. <laughs> David said, Lord, if it takes affliction, if it takes some tough times to get my attention so that I might Learn more about who you are. It's worth it. And I'm ready for it. The truth is, Jesus did this with his disciples, I believe, many times throughout the Gospels. You remember in Mark chapter number 4 when Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said, Let us, let us, me and you, all of you, pass over unto the other side. And so they started on one side of the Sea of Galilee, rowing toward the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And right in the middle, as Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat, the Bible says a great storm arose. So much so that the disciples feared for their life and they cried out saying, Lord, do you not care that we're about to die? We're about to perish. Here Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And all of them are terrified that they're about to be killed in this storm. And so Jesus stands up in the middle of the storm and he says, Peace be still. And that raging sea that was being tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves at that moment became just as silent and peaceful as a farm pond. And the Bible says, what manner, the, the disciples said to themselves, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? See, sometimes God allows things into our life. He chastens us to show us a truth about himself that we've never seen before. 
Amen? This brother in Psalm 73 was a cleansed man. He was a chastened man. And for those who have trusted in Christ, we're cleansed. For those who've been born again into the family of God as sons and daughters, he will chasten. But now let me, let me say something else. This, this brother in Psalm 73 was also a confused man. He was confused because he's still looking in all the wrong places. He's looking out at everybody else. He's seeing the prosperity of the wicked. He's looking in at himself and he sees the problems he's facing. He hadn't looked in the right place yet, therefore he's confused. Look what it says in Psalm 73. Go back with me. Look down at verse number 15. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of the children. I think what this brother said, if I stand up and tell everybody actually how I'm feeling, not only is it going to hurt me with everybody else, but it's going to hurt everybody else in their faith with the Lord, even my children. As a father, he understood something that the actions and the decisions of the father greatly affect not only them, but their families. Guys, I hope we understand that. And that's true not just for fathers, but for everybody. Your decisions and your choices, what you choose to do and what you choose not to do, not only directly affect you, but those around you. And he says, if I really stand, if I stand up and say how I'm really feeling right now, it's going to hurt everybody. He's confused. He don't know which end is up. Verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Now, so this man, again, is wrestling with some tough questions. He sees the prosperity of the wicked. He sees the problems of the saint, but then he gets perspective when he goes to the sanctuary. I love this part. Let me tell you what I think this brother's problem was. I think he had been forsaking the assembling together of the brethren. I don't think he had been to worship service in a while. I don't think he was plugged into the church. And because he had not been plugged into the body of Christ, because he had not had uh, encouragement and edification that comes through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God because he had not been around the people of God to, to advise him in times of trouble, to encourage him in the times of trouble and say, you know what, I was going through something similar to what you're going through and this is how God got me through it and if he can get me through it, he can get you through it. This brother had been missing all that so he got confused. And he took his eyes off Jesus and put it on the world around him. The prosperity of the wicked and he took his eyes off Jesus and put them on his problems in his own life. And it took getting back to the sanctuary, getting in the presence of God with the people of God to get a right perspective. Amen? See, there's a reason the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25 not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. How many know you need the church and the church needs you. I need you. You need me. We are members all together of one body. Each member affects the others. And when one member is missing, a part of the body is missing. 
And it's hard for us to fulfill the purpose God has for each and every one of us. This brother went back to the sanctuary. He got plugged into the things of God and his whole perspective changed. Look what happens. Psalm 73, verse 18. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou, canest, thou castest them down to destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was a beast before thee. He said, man, Lord, I was thinking wrong. I was confused. And it wasn't until I got some right perspective that everything began to come into focus. He began to see that the wicked, yeah, they may make a lot of money and have a lot of stuff, but I'll tell you this, money and stuff only last so long. Folks, I've never seen an armored car following a hearse. Matthew Henry says there are no pockets in a shroud. What I'm trying to tell you is this. All the stuff that you can accumulate in this world, you can't take it with you. And each and every one of us, whether we've got millions of dollars in our bank account or five dollars in your bank account, we're all going to stand before the God who created us. Each and every one of us. And he says, man, when I got a hold of that, it changed everything. Jesus kind of says the same thing in Luke 16. You remember the parable in Luke 16 when Jesus was talking about the rich man who, who uh, had all his barns full? And, and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. I'm just going to, again, live high, wide, and handsome. And I'm just going to have everything I want. And I'm going to walk around prideful and arrogant about what I've done and what I've accomplished. And Jesus said, you fool." You fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of thee. The Lord put it like this. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Dr. Francis Chen did something years ago that I've actually done here. I used his illustration, and it was a good one. He had a big, long piece of rope. I don't know, probably two, three hundred foot of rope. And he took the end of it and he colored it with a magic marker, just about a half inch. And then he got up on the stage in his church and he asked one of the brothers to come up and grab the rope. And they went through the back of the building un undoing that rope, uncoiling it as he went. And they went all the way out in the parking lot and across the parking lot to the other side of the road. And all of that rope was stretched out. And he said, what I want to illustrate to you is this. This little colored part, that's your life on earth that you're living right now. All the rest of this rope, that's eternity. Listen to me, folks. Nothing wrong with being prosperous. Nothing wrong with working hard. And, and, and listen, being blessed for how you've worked hard. Nothing wrong with any of that. And I want to say to you this morning, not every rich person is a wicked person, and not every poor person is a godly person. That's not the point of this message. What I want to tell you is, though, listen to me now. Prepare for eternity because what you're enjoying right now is just a little sliver, a little sliver of what we're going to experience. And everybody in here 
is going to spend eternity somewhere. Where you spend eternity is a direct result of the decision you've made concerning Jesus. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. He who believes on the Son has life, and he who believes not on the Son hath not. John chapter 3. What he's saying is, you've got to make the decision now that prepares you for eternity. And this brother finally got the right perspective. Lord, things may not be always hunky and hunky-dory and hallelujah, strawberries and cream while I'm in this life. It may not be. You're going to face tough times. It's going to be times when life seems unfair to you, when relationships fail, when families falter, when sickness uh, rocks your world. All of that's going to happen. But now listen to me. Get a hold of this. The God on the mountain is the God in the valley. The God in the good times is the God in the bad times. Everybody's going to face troubles, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer. I don't care who you are. The only difference is the believer has somebody to go through their troubles with them. Get the right perspective. Don't look out at the prosperity of the wicked. Don't look at your problems with yourself, with your family. Keep your eyes on Jesus. See, this brother got the right perspective because he rejoiced in the presence of his God. Watch. Look at the last part of this, verse 23. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna, excuse me, I'm in Psalm 78. Go, go back with me to Psalm 73, verse number uh, uh, 23. Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by the right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom I have, uh, heaven, whom, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. Verse 26, listen to this. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you see it? Verse 27. For lo, they are uh, far from uh, flee shall perish. They, thou hast desired all them that go a-whoring from thee. Look at verse 28. I love this verse. But it is good for me to draw near to God. As I said to you at the beginning of this service, listen to me folks, God is making an amazing invitation. He says, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Isn't that good? I was driving to church this morning thinking about this message. Looking at skies so blue it hurt your eyes to look at them. Birds were singing and flowers were blooming and just a beautiful morning on my way over here today. I got here this morning about 6.30 and riding over here, man, as, as the, as the, it was just a, a brand new morning and everything just looked so, so beautiful. I thought, my God, God, you are amazing. You are good. Listen, the God who created those blue skies and those singing birds. The God who created the universe itself. The, the, the star-breathing, sea-splitting, dead-raising God that we read about on the pages of the Scripture. He's saying, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. The psalmist said, it's good for me to draw near to God. When I get close to Him, I get the right perspective, and I get to enjoy His presence. Oh, folks, don't miss it. Don't miss it. This is what makes life worth living. This is what...
completes you and makes you whole. I've put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't put your eyes on the prosperity of the wicked. Don't put your eyes on the problems of the saints. Get the right perspective in serving the Lord, through serving the Lord, and rejoice in the presence of God because that's what makes all the difference. I'm telling you. The psalmist figured it out. He came to the conclusion, God is good. And all the time. Do you believe it today? Everyone stand together. This is your invitation. Some of you here today are struggling with those problems that you can't fix. And maybe you're in that place where it seems life has been really unfair to you. Well, let me say this. One of my greatest privileges as your pastor is to pray for you because I know God hears me. Not because of who I am, but because of what he's promised. 1 John 5, 14 says that we have this confidence that if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. Amen. Do you know as a believer, you are a part of a priesthood? Do you know that you don't have to go through anyone to get to Jesus? Do you know you can go straight to the top? That you can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in your time of need? Do you know that? You can. So if you're going through those tough times, maybe you just want to come and pray about it. Now listen, it's my privilege as your pastor to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. If you need that today, you come. As a believer, and you know that you've just, there's some stuff going on that you just, you, you need the Lord to, to, to fix this situation and to, to help you in this place. Whatever it might be. Family trouble, physical trouble, financial trouble, whatever. God has his ear turned to his people. He's ready to listen. This altar is a great place to get along with the Lord. People have been getting along with the Lord in an altar for like, like this one uh, since the beginning of time. I believe in a good old-fashioned altar experience. I really do. If you need the Lord today, come pour your heart out to him. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. Just be real with the Lord. If you're here today and you've not yet trusted in Jesus as Savior, listen to me. What are you waiting on? My goodness. Don't play games with eternity. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Listen to me, folks. The problem with the appointment of death, we don't know when it's coming. Could be today, tonight, tomorrow, in 10 years, in five minutes. I don't know. But let me tell you this. As a believer, I've got peace for living. And I've got peace for dying. Again, not because of who I am. I ain't, I'm, I'm nobody. Not because of what I've done. I can't do enough. I've trusted fully in the finished work of Christ. And I know 
He's changed me on the inside. I know he's still working on me on the outside. But I know that I know I've been born again. You can too. You can too. You can leave here today with a peace of knowing that you've been born again and you're ready for your date, for your appointed time that all of us are going to face. That's your invitation. If you need the Lord in any way, you come this morning. If you need to be